Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, good morning. Before we jump into today's episode, I did want to take this chance to let everybody know the Self-Love Summit starts in just a couple days. It starts on the 13th of February, the day before Valentine's Day, and I'm really excited about it. I've got five speakers, so the summit goes from the 13th to the 17th, and we have a different speaker each day. And all of these speakers are amazing, accomplished, highly successful individuals in their respective fields. And so the topic of self-love is going to be addressed from, of course, a personal standpoint, and we'll hear about their personal stories, but also like some practicalities around the whole thing. What even is self-love and how do we embody and embrace it and bring it from the idea of this sort of airy-fairy concept into a very grounded experience? Because as you know, I'm very much all about the bodily sensations, feeling things in our in our bodies, and how do we embody these these big concepts and big ideas so that it it moves away from this sense of it's something out in the ethers to be had, but instead of no, like how do we carry ourselves with self love? How do we wake up and go through our days loving ourselves and interacting in our relationships that come from a place of loving ourselves? So that being said, I will post the link to to sign up for that in the show notes. It's going to take place on Facebook in my Facebook group entitled The Self-Love Project, which is an ongoing project for 2020 where we talk about just this, these kinds of ideas, concepts, and also adapting different patterns, habits, activities that lead us to being able to have that embodiment of self-love experience. So check it out. I'm really pumped. It starts uh, in just a few days. And this episode is such a great lead into that. Haley is wonderful. She was a delight to speak with. And she has so many good practical strategies for dealing with her areas of expertise, which are around boundaries and making the shift from being a people pleaser to more of being able to show up as your as your authentic self and as the person that you feel most like in the world. So enjoy the episode. I certainly did. And please check out those links. And as always, I love to hear from you. So feel free to comment anywhere on the uh, on the podcast. Take care. Enjoy the episode. Hi, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And with me today, I have Haley McGee. She is a certified life coach and she works a lot with boundaries and with getting over being a people pleaser. Hi, Haley. Hi. Thanks for having uh, me here. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, so I would love to hear you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, parts of your story that you're comfortable sharing, and then a, a little bit more about the work that you do, because I love this specific niche that you have. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, totally happy to share. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll sort of start from the beginning and work back, I suppose, but I am a life coach. Um, I like to say that I, I help folks who have a history of putting others' needs before their own. So yeah, this covers everything from like folks who are recovering people pleasers, codependent folks, even like uh, empaths or chronic caregivers. 
Um, and my interest in this work is totally personal <laughs> as it is for so many of us in this, in this world. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I think about my story and the parts that are important, um, I think from the very beginning, there was always this element of me struggling to feel at home in my own skin and my own personality, um, which I think was sort of the seed for a lot of that people pleasing stuff to come up down the road. Um, so ever since I was little, I remember sort of being, you know, I was like an odd duck as a kid. I was a little bit of a teacher's pet. And, you know, I think as a kid, I got like, you know, there was some bullying and there was just some of this messaging I got, whether it was from my peers or my family or whatever, that um, I was not enough the way I was. And so from a young age, it stemmed this tendency to really want to people please and also like overachieve and have some of that like perfectionist stuff were going you, on. Were you an only child? I'm just curious. Yeah, great question. No, I was not. So I have a little sister who's a total rock star. I uh, love her <laughs> a lot. But yeah, so it, um, we grew up together and I think like um, – you know, obviously, you know, the more I grew up and the more I noticed this tendency, I just wanted respite from this sense of like everything um, feeling kind of uncomfortable. And so for me, that's when a lot of like drinking and some of these other like sort of just like compulsive addictive stuff came into my world. And um, I always think of these issues as sort of being different masks for the same underlying discomfort. And I know so many of us think of it that way. And I think for me, there was just this feeling of like, I'm not at home in my own skin. And so I need anything I can to make me feel better and more at home. So a lot of this stuff came to a head. Um, and after a while of just, you know, whether it was drinking or performing, being like a social chameleon, the way I used to think it was my greatest skill. You know, I was like, I could be any version of myself anyone wants me to be. And it led me to having like a lot of like friends and I use air quotes as I say friends because there were people who <laughs> thought they knew me and thought we connected. But ultimately I felt so alone because I wasn't letting anyone see the true me. Did uh, you have a sense at that time of even like who the true you was or what that, or of even that concept of like, there is like a true me or did it feel in the moment it, like you were your true you, you just had all these different like shades of it? Oh, Oh, that's such a good question. I think the truthful Thanks. answer is that like, um, I knew I wasn't being the true me, but I did not know who she was. Hmm. Um, and this is something I see in even a lot of my clients now is like when we're so used to being a performer and putting others' needs before our own, we get that sort of intuitive sense that something's off. But if someone were to ask us, so who are you really? Um, what is it that you really want? It takes a lot of excavation to sort of pull her up from beneath those layers. And so for me, the only way I was able to sort of tap back into that true self of mine, interestingly enough, was through like really hard experiences that sort of forced me um, to strip away the layers. So things that come to mind are like um, getting sober or um, going through like a really grueling breakup with a long-term partner. Um, without those defenses or numbing agents, I was just mm -hmm. left with myself. And that's when she started to take form and come out. Yeah. Something about those like great trials and tribulations and that really deep pain. It's just, there's absolutely no room for bullshit, I think. So it does create almost like a, a, a really healthy soil for new things to grow. Mm, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And we're sort of um, those, right. It can be such a tribulation because if you're used to depending on those external things for a sense of identity or purpose, when they're gone, 
it's like a great reckoning, <laughs> you know, it it's is. like, you know, what's left of me. And that those moments can be extraordinarily painful, but in my experience, both personally and with others, they're the greatest catalyst for growth too. It's true. It's true. And I, I never want to tell people like, you need to have this like really hard experience in order to grow because I, I don't think that, you know, we do. Um, but I think when we have those really hard experiences, there are, there's no option but to grow. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Grow or, grow or die pretty much. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> go under the soil or sprout new life from, from it. Yes, totally. Totally. So, yeah. So I guess in conclusion, you know, like with the, the story and all of this stuff coming up, it's so good. And, um, there were a lot of sort of, right. These tribulations, these moments of growth. And, um, I know for me, a big part of recovering myself was learning to set boundaries. So, um, and this comes up in my work a lot. And so, okay, I realized I wasn't being myself. Then I was like, okay, I think I have a sense of who this self might be because I've been forced to find her. So then I was like, okay, I have a sense of self, but now I'm realizing that I kind of need to reformulate my relationships because these relationships were all dependent on a version of Haley that I no longer am, right? And so up came resentments, up came fears and concerns. And so I would say that communicating those boundaries and learning how to say no and speak my truth was kind of like, certainly not the end of the journey. The journey is lifelong, but those were the tools I needed to take this inner self I'd found and put her into action in my daily life. And so now having experienced like the rewards of that work and getting closer in touch with myself, I just really want to help others do the same. Yeah, it's wonderful work and, and so helpful, you know, for people to have a guide who has personally been through it and also who has tools of like, hey, here's how we can navigate this and here's how I can show up and help you. So you're doing wonderful work. Thank you so much, Ellis. It's really fun work. And I think the cool thing to remember, like I like to describe it as exercising a muscle. Like if we haven't been used to putting ourselves first, that muscle's really weak. And so over time, every time we say the slightest no, or every time we take an act of self-care, it's like strengthening that muscle. Um, and it, again, it's totally a lifelong journey. I still have moments when like just last week, I set a particularly tough boundary and I was so proud of myself after. And I like totally danced around my kitchen feeling like a queen. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like there's still room for like growth and celebration always. Always for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I was reading one of your, I think it was a blog, but you talked about something that you had just touched on about evaluating the systems that are in your life and talking about systems kind of as, I think it was systems, the, the word that you used. Um, but really talking about like the different relationships that you have in your life and evaluating you know, how, how do I feel about this relationship or this system now that I am becoming this person? And I think that was, I really enjoyed that. And you talked about how you had done a practice of like writing down who you would be without your partner um, at the time. And so I guess my question around this is like, how do you, how do you sort of navigate, I guess, the borders and boundaries of that for yourself and for your own system, as well as for those that you love, where you're able to kind of renegotiate these systems, but in a loving way, unless you want to just completely, you know, because I don't think the goal is to get rid of everyone in your life or every system, but just to start to change the, you know, the borders and the way we view it. Mm, um, true. Is that, is that even a question? Does that make sense? I think I can roll with it. Great. <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. Um, yeah. First of all, thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, yeah, exactly. So in this post, I, I sort of asked myself this point, it was sort of at the end of this, this, uh, relationship I'd mentioned earlier that did end up culminating in a breakup. But the question was, yeah, who would I be or how would I be spending my time if I weren't mm -hmm. in this relationship? And it was just an exercise. Um, 
But what I found in this journaling entry was so much came up. It was kind of astounding. It was like, I want to take a dance class and I want to go out with friends more. And it was really illuminating to see the many ways in which I'd shrunken myself in this relationship. Not even because my partner had asked me to, but because that was just the role I was so used to playing in my connections with others. Be small, be accommodating, be flexible and available. And so naturally things fell aside. So, right. So then if we ask ourselves those questions, and this could be anything, like you were saying, like a partner, a parent, a church, a community, like any system of which we're a part, if we begin to notice that there's friction between our innermost selves and that community, the question then becomes, how do you address that and bring that to life? And it's hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that there's no uh, clear cut answer. And I think to me, there are a couple options or like paths down the road. You know, I think the ideal path would be that you begin to develop the courage to like titrate your real personality into that relationship by having those tough conversations, expressing your needs, and perhaps setting boundaries around what you will and will not do. And in a perfect world, I think that that person or that system would be willing to meet you where you're at and be accommodating, um, or at least find some compromise. But then, um, and this is an unfortunate and painful reality that is, it's hard, but I think it does catalyze growth. Um, you may find that those systems or people are just fully incompatible with this most mm. true version of you. And I think that fear of needing to abandon those connections is what prevents us from often setting those boundaries in the first place um, is because we're afraid that we're no longer compatible. And, um, I've gone through that so much, even just this year, like getting deeper in touch with myself and needing to set boundaries with, especially in friendships. And I have found that um, I've had to leave some of those connections behind. And I like to think of it as almost, what's the word? Like pruning a tree mm. or a plant mm -hmm. is like, you take off those dead crackly leaves and it might be lonely for a while after, but what you're doing is making room for more authentic connections to grow. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, that was lovely. And I really love that you talked about a titrated approach because in a lot of the like nervous system work that I do, it's very titrated. Like, let's just introduce a little bit of this to the system yes. and see what happens. And that allows for a much like safer environment and container and, and for all of these things, I think that does take some of the fear away when it's not like you have to go into this system and change everything about it, but to think like, oh, maybe I could, you know, do this one thing that I've been doing every Saturday with this group a little bit differently because it doesn't resonate. And it just, it makes everything more useful for us to have that titration. That's right. And I know like I know your work, like somatic experiencing work, like the titration approach, it's like helpful for our nervous system. And I think it's so important. I'm really glad this came up actually, because I think that um we understate how much of a um what's a good word, not attack, but it's very jarring for our nervous system to play a new role in our relationships. Definitely. Like it's it can be extremely scary. It can be filled with like, and I don't mean to make it sound horrible, but it's really hard. And so I think if we honor what our nervous system is going through and gives our, give ourselves permission to take it slow, give ourselves permission to like, geez, I don't know, like cry after setting a tough boundary. These are all growing pains that support our growth. And so it's not going to be easy per se, but if we take it in slow incremental steps or titrate the approach, I think it's easier. I agree. And I, I think sometimes there's this view of like this kind of all or nothing approach of we need to make these huge big changes in our life 
or we're just going to stay the same. Um, and so I like more and more that I think this idea of titration and making these small like changes are just being talked about more, or maybe it's more accessible for people or people understand more that it doesn't have to be this whole big thing of I'm going to quit my job and leave my husband and move across the country right. to like become this woman that I am. It can be like, okay, well maybe, you know, I do something much, much smaller <laughs> than any of those things. Um, and still be able to become this woman that I'm becoming or this person that I'm becoming. Totally. Yeah. So I love I that. Yeah. Yeah. We got to celebrate and acknowledge like the little victories because sometimes that's all it takes to get us closer to who we want to be. Definitely. And life is so full of little moments. So I think that's what makes up our lives really is these small things. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I have some questions for you about, gosh, about like boundaries and people pleasing, because I know like in a lot of the recovery world, like being of service is this huge, big deal. Right. And I think right. in life in general, it's like a good thing to sort of be of service and look for how you can help people. What have you found are like the, the lines? And I know it's not a clear cut answer, but how do you know when you're adopting this, like just people pleasing and doing almost too much of that, where it's too much giving away of yourself versus like, you're being like too selfish and not being of service enough. Like what are the what are some strategies you have for negotiating that? <laughs> I'm laughing because it's such a good question and it's like a source of great like inner conversation. Um, right. Okay. So I think that's really great because, wow. Okay. Here's what comes to mind. I'm like, I'm thinking this out as you're asking. So in my experience, um, especially back when drinking was a part of my story, a lot of my people pleasing and a lot of my quote helping others was so often like it really stemmed actually from a place of um, self-centeredness actually. So this idea of like, you know, I'll be any person you want and I'll help you, but it was all because I wanted the validation and I wanted the feedback and I wanted to be liked. And, you know, that's totally natural and normal, but I think that, um, you know, it is, it leaves us feeling isolated. It's not with perhaps the best of intentions. And so now I think in this world of like setting boundaries and people pleasing, it's really helpful to get to the root of why we want to do some of this people pleasing. Um, you know, if we're helping somebody out or we're putting someone else's needs first, because we're secretly hoping that they're going to see us as their savior or their martyr or their everything, um, our ego is kind of getting out of control there, right? Whereas like if we genuinely want to help somebody because we want to see the positive influences it'll have on them and, and yada, yada, um, I think it gets a little bit clearer. It's a hard question though. And I think it's tough because um, being of service is so critical and it helps us get down to like this whole saying of being like right-sized. Mm. Um, and I'd actually, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I'm talking around this and I'd love to hear what, what you think about this question. Yeah, I really, I, um, I love what you said. I think that was a very good point that it, it's really, where does it come from? Like, is it coming from a place of ego or is it coming from a place of really wanting to, to help somebody else and to see them grow? I think detaching ourselves from like our anticipated or desired outcome of the action is a good sort of a checkpoint. Um, and then I, I would also say too, like just noticing our own physical bodies and physical symptoms when it comes to helping people. Like, am I even, am I well, am I in a space where I can be helpful or, you know, have I not slept well all week? And yet there's this event that I'm, um, 
you know, I could go and help at, but yet I'm, I'm dragging and I'm exhausted. Like maybe it's more important that I rest and that's going to help me to be of better service, like down the line. Um, I feel like there's a piece about commitment in there too. I'm not a person even now like sober who likes to make a lot of commitments. So when I do, I, I make them because I, I plan to keep them. Um, and so I feel maybe this is not related at all, but I feel like if we say we're, we're like, if we go to the point to make that commitment, I think then it's good to like show up and do that, whether that's of service, it's like keeping that boundary or that, um, I don't know, that self-trust, building that self-trust. Like if we say we're going to do something, yeah. whether, whether it's for somebody else or for ourselves, it helps us to start trusting ourselves more when we actually show up for it. Which yes. I don't even think that was related, but. It feels, good- no, I think it's a, I'm so glad you said that. I actually think it's a wonderful point. And I think that um, I'll share personally to that. Um, back when I was people, I mean, okay, I still people please sometimes, but back when it was really like, the, the crux of what I was up to, I, there would be this cycle. So people would ask me to do stuff and I would say yes because I wanted them to like me. And then when I got alone and I was on my own or journaling or, or thinking, I would be like, wow, I really, really don't want to do this thing that I committed to. And that would often be accompanied by kind of like a heaviness in my gut or like a weighing mm-hmm. down of my shoulders. Like I would just feel burdened. And um, oftentimes it would come to a head where I would like cancel last minute or I would do the task or whatever, but I would do it um, resentfully. Mm-hmm. And regardless, throughout that whole experience, everything in my body would often be like, yo, you didn't want to do this in the first place. And so I think sort of what you said about noticing our bodies, um, a huge, especially for those of us who are having trouble tuning into our intrinsic wants and needs at the beginning of this like recovery of self journey, the, the body is the best portal into that stuff. And so whether it's like a heaviness in the shoulders, a feeling of resentment in the gut, that's often like the very first incremental step a person can take to tuning into what their innermost self is asking for. It's such a great barometer. And we just walk around with these wonderful barometers of like who and and how we are and how we can show up in the world. And it's always shocking to me how much it's overlooked, you know, like, cause we're just not really taught to tune into our body and to notice what's happening and you know, what sensations am I feeling? And, oh, maybe this is related to my mental state and my health and how I exist in the world and the choices that I make. Um, but it's like, so it's so available to us cause we walk around in these bodies. So <laughs> I love that. Like I, walking around with these barometers. That's so true. It's like this constant resource that we often forget we have. Yeah, it really is. Um, And I love what you said too about just the recovery of self journey. That's a great, it's just a great line because it's so true. It really is recovering ourselves. Isn't it wild? For sure. I mean, any recovery journey, right? Like it's like you're getting past these layers of, of defenses we've built up and just getting down to like the raw core of who we are. It's powerful. It is. It's really neat. It's a, it's never a dull moment, I think. (laughs) So true. (laughs) So true. Um, and so I have another question about boundaries and about the kind of back to the body stuff too, like about setting a boundary and then sort of verbalizing a boundary. And that's one thing, but then what also the sense of like actually like embodying a boundary, do you know what I'm asking? Um, I guess how to maybe get from that point of like, I'm saying this boundary and it's sort of over here and almost like outside of me versus like, I'm really embodying this boundary and this is how I navigate the world. Mm, interesting. So I'm hearing almost like embodiment and then also like maintaining the boundaries beyond just the initial 
the initial stating. Right. Where it's just as part of like how you, yeah, how you navigate the world or how you navigate a relationship with a certain person or, um, you know, a certain task or something, I guess, I guess I'm thinking more in terms of relationships. Like if I set a boundary with this person, how is it so that it's just a part of like how I interact with them? I see. Right. So when does it become like second nature or habitual or like part of the infrastructure of that relationship? Yes. Where it's almost like felt to the point where there's no questioning it really from anywhere else because it just exists now as a part of your infrastructure. That's a really good question. My first thought that comes to mind is that um, in my experience... And like with my clients' journeys as well, um, it takes a it takes a lot of practice and time for a boundary to really become second nature and entrenched in the relationship that way. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, what's a good boundary? Hmm. I mean, okay. Um, this is kind of I'm just kind of riffing now, but let's say you're in a in a relationship and you have this discussion about one of the partners really um, wanting to have a little bit more personal time and wanting to have more time to focus on her projects or her ideas or whatever. Um, if if this is a rerouting of what has previously been the narrative, like if you guys are saying, oh, we used to spend all this time together, now we're taking some more time apart it's going to take time for that to become natural. And for um, both, like, I think it's hard to, on the receiving end of a boundary, right? We often feel like it's a personal attack. At least initially, we may feel like this is a testament to the health of the relationship, but really it's just rewriting of the contract and the rules. And so I think over time, um, by practicing that boundary and reaffirming why you set this boundary in the first place, saying, um, this is not about you. This is about me and my personal space. And I'm doing this because I want our relationship to be healthy. Hmm. Over time, I think that that boundary becomes more natural. Um, I feel like I'm kind of, I feel like I'm going off in a couple of directions now, but I guess the short answer is like a combination of just practicing and reasserting that need over and over and over in a loving manner until it becomes second nature Hmm. has been in my experience, the best way to set that over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does (laughs) a little bit all over. (laughs) No, I love it. I love this conversation this morning. Um, yeah, I think that, I think it does make sense. Excuse me. Where it's just, yeah, doing it and doing it. Um, I feel like there's no way around it. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to probably be uncomfortable for a while. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah. I am, I'm looking at my question list here because I want to make sure I don't lose the opportunity to ask you some things. Um, and so I'm curious too, like, since you've been doing this work or even maybe you could speak to what you've seen in your clients, how do you notice the people in your life who, who are, who are, you know, remain in your life? Like how do you feel like their perception of you has shifted or changed as you've become able to set better boundaries and less of a people pleaser. Yeah. Positively. And I can explain why. Um, This is a great reframe. So often, and I'll, I'll speak to my personal journey in a moment, but just for like listeners also, I think when we start doing boundary setting work, um, we're stepping into a new sense of identity. We're no longer becoming the constant yes sayer, the happy little sunshine, right? We're, We're accepting our wholeness. And so I think at first it's natural to say, oh my God, what are all the things that could go wrong? 
who will be angry, who will leave, whatever. That's fine. There's room for that. But I also think it's really great if we can ask ourselves when we're preparing to set a boundary or bring our whole self to the relationships, I'd love to ask my clients, um, how might this person benefit from you setting this boundary? Hmm. Um, or, you know, how might this person benefit from you beginning to prioritize your own passions and hobbies? And there's always something because ultimately if we're in a relationship with somebody, the truest essence of that relationship is when both parties can really be themselves and thrive. Um, and so I have noticed that in my relationships, as I mentioned earlier, there were some relationships in which I expressed certain needs and, um, those relationships stopped working. Hmm. And it was certainly hard to let those go. Um, however, the relationships that were truest to my authentic self, I've begun to express my needs. Like something that came up for me was that I used to be <clears throat> um, a chronic like listener, as in I would feel really, really comfortable doing 90% of the listening and 10% of the talking. Hmm. And in a lot of my relationships, and this was true like mostly in friendships, and this made me resentful over time, but I didn't feel comfortable changing the dynamic. And so at a certain point, I got my, I had conversations with my closest people, like my partner, my friends, and I straight up was like, I noticed that I'm playing this listener role. And over time, I'd really love it if our relationship could take on a more reciprocal conversational balance. You know, that's like the, the summarized version. Um, that's but a what brave conversation to have. It was so hard. <laughs> yeah, good for you. That's awesome. Thank you. It was it was so nerve-wracking because in my head, right, there's this narrative of like, oh, what if they're bored by what I share? What if they don't really care? Like, and all of these things were really like catastrophized, but in that moment it felt real. And what I was amazed by, this was such a touching and and powerful experience for me was that my friends were like some of them were like, oh my God, I'm so glad you told me that because I feel like you know me so much better than I know you and I've been wanting to get to know you better. Mm. So I'm, there was really this powerful emphasis on, I'm so glad you said that. Let's please, um, let's please prioritize you a little bit more here. And since then, like I have felt it was a sense of at-homeness that I didn't know could exist in those relationships, to be honest. I now feel like there's a more reciprocal playing field and it feels great. Um, and one more thing I'll add here. Um, I like to use this approach, especially for like the entry level boundary setters per se, is this concept of almost like radical transparency, meaning this, like setting a boundary is really hard and it can make you feel really guilty or scared or any number of things. And in the beginning, I actually advocate the approach of like, let's be super transparent. And while you're setting the boundary, tell them how you're feeling. So mm. I'm like in these friendships, I said, this feels really awkward for me to bring this up. I'm a little bit afraid of hurting you and I'm scared about speaking my truth this way, but here's the boundary. Mm -hmm. And using that as a disclaimer sort of paved the road for a really authentic conversation and gave me permission to feel exactly how I felt in that moment. And so that can be a super great tool in the beginning. I think that's really helpful. And it, I think it also sort of negates any any amount of putting them on the defense. Cause I think sometimes that can be our natural inclination when someone sets a boundary on us as like, or, or asks for a boundary and it involves us is like, well, defensiveness. I know for me, that's a big go-to. So to say that to open with like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. And I feel nervous and I feel scared. It like just evens out the whole conversation. I feel like, so it lets them empathize with you and know where you're coming from versus this. Why are you doing this to me? 
Right. Like it's like this, um, exactly. It's kind of like this inviting them into the conversation instead of pushing them away Mm. from it. And I think as part of that too, just reiterating, I truly believe that we set boundaries in order to make our relationships healthier. Um, if I didn't care about a relationship with a person, I wouldn't bother doing the work of setting boundaries in it because that's a lot of emotional labor. And so emphasizing like I'm setting this boundary because I really care about this friendship and I want it to be even healthier than it already is. That's a really good point. And to, and I think to continue to tell them if it's a, like a longer term relationship, you know, as most relationships are, they go on for a while. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like this is because I care. Um, and to continue to let them know it's because I want our relationship to be better. That's right. And even going to the next, the next step and saying, you know, it's because I want our relationship to better, to be better. And I'm committed to also having this relationship be a space where you can express your needs and boundaries mm. for me. Like I've done this with my partner who is like such a rock star um, and is so accepted, accepting of my boundaries and also shares his. Mm-hmm. And I think because it's like what we talked about earlier, because we've both begun to exercise this muscle in our relationship, we've made our relationship a container where this is just expected. Um, it's part of the, the culture our relationships mm-hmm. culture. And so now we know that when someone states a need or sets a boundary, um, it's, it's not because we're pushing away. It's just, this is what we do. This is how we keep it healthy. That's lovely. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's new <laughs> and it's, it's really nice. Yeah. That's great to have that container for, um, I have a question about codependence too. And like codependent type relationships. Um, if you are like, what's the, I feel like we're like at a therapy session right now. I'm like, let me ask you these questions. <laughs> it's fun. Cause I'm, I'm genuinely curious about these specific situations. Like if you notice that there's people in your life who exhibit codependent behaviors and you don't really want to be a part of it. Um, like what's the best way to go about setting boundaries where there might not be this reciprocal sort of understanding or this ability to build this reciprocal culture. Cause maybe people don't want to like look that they're codependent or they just don't have their vernacular or the, you know, kind of the understanding of what that even is. And it's like more of an ingrained pattern. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. It usually is unconscious until we come mm-hmm. across, you know, a meme or an article and we're like, oh my God, that's me, you know, light bulb <laughs> on. That was my experience. Um, in my uh, previous relationship, the one that ended in a, in a sad way, Um, I didn't realize until after it was over, this was really the catalyst for the work I do now. I didn't realize until after it was over that I had been um, utterly codependent in that relationship. Mm. I'd lost my sense of self. I'd put my partner first and I'd become, I say this a lot, I'd become a shadow of myself because it was true. And so I think, yeah, sometimes the light bulb goes on and you're like, whoa, okay, this is a pattern. This is an ingrained pattern. And so I think, so to get to your question, you had said, um, how do you go about when you notice there's codependency, how do you go about like setting those boundaries or sort of re reestablishing mm-hmm. that relationship? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Or so if there's like, um, another person who continues to like want to exist in this codependent pattern, I guess. And I think it's the titrated approach. I think it's things that we've already talked about. It's where like me as the person who doesn't want to be codependent continues to like set more boundaries around it. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think what, what will happen, what I have seen happen, what I have experienced is that let's say there's a a partnership and one of the partners is, um, very codependent or has, um, I'm not sure if folks are familiar with this idea, but like an anxious attachment style, 
mm-hmm. in which that partner sort of craves that constant reassurance and tends to want more time and space perhaps then is healthy. Mm. And perhaps the other partner um, isn't there. And so they have like maybe a secure attachment style and they are um, not codependent. This will create a boatload of friction right off the bat because the codependent person will want more time and space, more reassurance, where the other party will begin to feel suffocated and begin to feel that their independence is being broached, breached, whatever. Um, (laughs) semantics, it won't be good. (laughs) Um, and I've been there, I've been that codependent person. And I think what will happen, um, something's got to give because I think this degree of friction, um, cannot last. And so, um, in my experience in the past, that more independent and securely attached party, um, ended the relationship, which forced me to come face to face with my own codependency and, and rewrite my story. Or, um, I think, if both parties are able to develop the knowledge of what's happening. So -hmm. if this pattern doesn't stay subconscious, if both parties are able to be like, Hey, there's something up here. Oh, I need this. Oh, this need is in contrast with your need. There can be exactly that titrated approach where both parties become, um, develop comfort, stepping a little bit closer to the other person. So like maybe the codependent party learns to give themselves the reassurance they usually seek from their partner and they learn to enjoy their own time and space maybe the more independent party learns to provide greater reassurance and get more comfortable with greater time. Um, Hopefully that happens. I mean, that is really great when both parties are able to meet in the middle that way. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. I think that was really good insight. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. I liked it. It's tricky. (laughs) It's definitely tricky and there's no formula. And I've seen, you know, couples handle this in, in lots of ways, but I do think if both parties are willing to, um, acknowledge their own role in the system, there's, there's room for growth. If one party in the relationship is absolutely unwilling to notice the role they play, that's where things I think get uh, dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, yeah. And I've said this before, and I actually said this to my partner last night. It's just when people have that willingness, I feel like there's so much that can happen when there's just willingness to, you know, to grow, to try new things, to have these tough discussions. And when it's not there, I feel like that's where I would get really stuck in any of my relationships or in my work, like if there's just not willingness for there to be a flow or a flex or an ability to talk about things that are hard. Completely. I love the emphasis on the, the idea of willingness being like a prerequisite for the mm-hmm. healthy, the healthy relationship, because I mean, and this is the essence of codependency, right? Like we only have control over our own actions and behaviors and reactions, and we may want to heal a relationship and change, but if the other part- partner isn't willing to do any of the work, then we're at a standstill. I'm curious how this work around codependency fits into like more of a family structure when you're dealing with your parents or with, you know, your siblings or with your children, even like when we start adapting new roles and it's these people that, I mean, we're kind of, for lack of a better term, like stuck with, you know, they're people that <laughs> you can always like walk away from your family, but I think they're more, it's more of this sort of tribal bonding, you know, because at least for a lot of people. And so I'm wondering what, what you advise in those type of situations and relationships when it's, you know, maybe not when maybe the, the same kind of willingness to address a partnership isn't there or when it, I feel like with families, sometimes we tend to fall very easily back into these, whatever system or pattern we had, like, you know, as a, as a nuclear family growing up or things like that. It's like people, people will take on those roles again, even if they've grown and changed and moved away and become this other person. 
Um, so just ways that you can think of or that you found helpful for navigating situations like that with families. Yeah. What a great question. I, I so appreciate your questions. They're really making me think. Oh, and thanks. this is, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. And this is a tough one. Um, I did a survey of some folks um, in a, a support group that I run, folks who are codependent, and family was the number one area where folks struggle to set boundaries the most. And it makes sense because these are our roles and identities we've been occupying since we were, you know, mm -hmm. zero years old. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it takes a lot of effort. My biggest piece of advice when it comes to families is that, um, you know, and especially you see this a lot with like um, children and parents, adult children and parents, whatever. Um, really in this scenario, it's important to focus on what you can and cannot control. Mm -hmm. So what I would say here is that, um, you know, we, can we have every option to communicate our needs and our boundaries with our families? Um, hopefully they are received. And there's a lot of times where they're not. And so in this scenario, really setting our own internal limitations around, here are things that come to mind. Um, how much time will I spend with this, these family members? Which conversations do I feel comfortable entering versus not entering? Um, do I go home for the holidays? Do I not? These are all things that, while they may be painful to sort of figure out the answers to those questions, we do have control over those things. Um, what we don't have control over is like, will mom and dad respect my boundary? Will they bring up this conversation that I don't enjoy? And so in those moments, realizing we don't have to take the bait and we don't have to play the roles that we used to, we can step back and say, you know, uh, mom, I'm, I'm not willing to go there with you today. Or like, no, I'm sorry. I'm staying home for Christmas or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but it can be really hard because underneath all of that, like we crave to be, we want to be seen and respected by our families and ultimately, um, yeah. So needing to set boundaries or having boundaries be imposed upon by our loved ones can be really painful for that reason. You know, definitely. Yeah. That was great. I think that's really good advice too, to think about what can I control versus what can't I control and to have a level of acceptance around the things that, um, that you really can't control and just know that, okay, this is, I've done my part. And then sort of the outcome of it is beyond my scope of, of management or control. You know, I can that's do funny. only what I can do. You can only control that. And I just wanted to add this one thing, which is like, <clears throat> Let's imagine you, you do your best to set a boundary and that your parent or sis, uh, sibling or whatever does not respect it and continues to push back. Mm. Um, you have every right, and I, I tell this to my clients a lot, to disengage. So maybe that means you hang up the phone while they're still talking. Maybe it means you leave the Christmas dinner and go home. It's easy to feel extraordinarily guilty or... Um, bad or mean for taking those steps, but sometimes that's our last defense. And so you are totally within the right to do that. And I like to reaffirm that point because um, sometimes we, our minds don't even go there. We don't even see that as an option, but it is mm -hmm. a viable option. Should it, should it need be one? It's so interesting. Even as you're saying that, I'm like watching what's happening to my body and I'm like, oh, that makes me nervous. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, so I'm, weird. Yeah. And I, like, I have a you know, pretty good relationship with my family and feel like I can be really open about my boundaries. Um, but yeah, even that, like thinking of like leaving or being seen as too dramatic or like, you know, being somebody that even needs to really establish and to grab onto boundaries. It's like, oh, but how will I be perceived? It's really interesting. Yep. It is. It's hard. Um, no doubt about it. Yeah. It's cool just to watch, uh, watch, watch what happens. I'd be curious for the listeners too. What was happening in your bodies, everybody? Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, tell us all the weird stuff your gut was doing. <laughs> exactly. 
And so I know we're wrapping up on time here, Haley. So any, um, any advice that you have or tools or anything that you would like to promote that you currently have going on? Yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, well, I mean, every single thing we talked about today is stuff that I work directly on with my clients. Um, and I think, you know, through my coaching, the whole process, it's pretty much, we begin by excavating that innermost self that may, has been, may have been like covered by those layers of people pleasing. That's phase one. And phase two is all about bringing that self out into the world and into your relationships, you know, pursuing your dreams, setting boundaries. Um, and it's, it's really fun, good stuff. And so, you know, you can check out my website, HaleyMcGee.com, which is sort of like the, the place where all of that lives. And then I also have a blog um, and there are some topics on there, like how to set a challenging boundary from start to finish or, you know, five ways for recovering people pleasers to discover what they really want. And so my hope is that a lot of the tools live there and anyone can find them and, um, yeah, experience the rewards of living your whole self and your relationships. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, (laughs) it was, it's been really fun to talk to you and, um, really informative too. I feel like I learned a lot. Oh, well, ditto. Yeah. Well, the question's so thought provoking. I feel like I need to have an intensive journaling session to reflect on (laughs) some of this stuff. It's all good work. Good. Um, Okay. Thank you so much, Haley. And I will put all of your links in the show notes for anybody who's uh, wants to come check your workout. And I definitely recommend it. Her blog is, it's really nice. It's very informative and it's like easy to read, but yet also, um, I don't mean to say that it's not also incredibly intelligent and thoughtful because it is. It's yeah, it's nice. Thank you. You're welcome.